Hello. On Saturday, February 25th, 2023, I sat down on the New Edge Sword and Sorcery YouTube channel for a live stream panel discussion of Sword and Soul, bringing in two friends of the podcast, Kirk A. Johnson and Milton Davis, as well as newcomer Sarah Macklin, all wonderful authors whose work will be featured in the new issues one and two of New Edge Sword and Sorcery. As I speak, we're a few dollars away from hitting 90% funded and I'm allowing myself some cautious optimism. <laughs> but yeah, so here's another bonus episode of me uploading just the audio of the discussion, which is in no way edited, but I think still quite enjoyable. While a smidge of material that we covered would be familiar for those who listened to the Kirk and Milton episodes, we covered a lot of other stuff that did not come up in those, and I think it was really, you know, a good time. I'm going to want to do more of these panel discussions, I think, maybe for the podcast exclusively or live stream and podcast. Anyway, you don't need all those details. What you need to know is, if you're hearing this before 8am on Saturday, March 4th, and there is still time to back and share the Kickstarter campaign, thank you so much to those of you who have, and yeah, here's the discussion. Okay, and here we are, uh, live with Kirk A. Johnson and Jordan Davis. Sarah Macklin will be joining us soon. Yeah, hey, hello to anybody who's watching. I don't know if anybody's in yet, uh, but uh, we'll get started proper soon. Might as well begin on introductions uh, while we're here. Uh, Milton, uh, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself to folks? Okay, well, my name is Milton Davis. Um, I am an author slash publisher, um, owner of MV Media. I specialize in science fiction and fantasy based on African, African diaspora, cultures, and traditions. I've uh, been doing this thing for about 15 years now. Actually, 15 years as of May. And uh, I've got 26 novels, 26 books that I've written, not all of my novels, I'm a short story collection. And I've published, um, edited about 11 anthologies, soon to, be, soon to be 12. And although I spread myself around in different genres and stuff, I consider um, Sword and Soul slash Sword and Sorcerer to be my wheelhouse. Uh, that's what, uh, that's where I love, that's what I love, love to do the most. God, man, you are hard working. I've just edited one issue of one magazine, and I'm like, oh, I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Milton knows how to get it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got We call it a catalog right about now on you. Right well, when, you're, when, your kids, when your kids are grown and nobody wants anything to do with you, you got plenty of time. <laughs> I know, man, because, well, for my ne ne niece and nephew would probably be taking my books from, you know, like, why don't y'all buy one? Y'all got money. <laughs> just support the man and just buy it. Don't, don't take my copies. Speaking That's of right. Kirk, uh, Kirk uh, would, you, would you mind introducing yourself to folks? Uh, I am Kirk Johnson, Kirk A. Johnson, um, the man behind Farfield Press, as you see, nice little cards. Out. Oh, yeah, I thought you were just checking. Like, I am love this, uh, Kirk. Love this logo. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I was drinking, who, who I was drinking I? last night. I was drinking last night. <laughs> Not this book. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the logo. Uh, I've been in the um, – I've been uh, – recently um, uh, started writing about – 2005, 2004, 2005, we're really seriously getting into writing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm also, as Milton, um, playing in the wheelhouse of Sword and Soul and Sword and Sorcery, as well, though, as uh, Cosmic Horror. So I, I really yeah. enjoy Cosmic Horror and, and all those other subgenres of horror, except for Gore Punk. I don't know what that's about. I can't get into it. <laughs> <laughs> gore Punk yeah. is just not my thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, Minigame um, just released my first book last year called The Obanox. Yeah, I got a copy yeah. here for those got a copy uh, here. watching as well as listening. The Obanox, some of the tales of heroes and horrors. And while I'm showing off people's books, uh, I might as well show off uh, where, I, if I remember correctly, Kurt, please correct me if I'm wrong, this was your first uh, short fiction publication was in mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Sword and Soul Anthology, yes. published by Milton <laughs> Davis, featuring his own yes. writing, of course, and that of Charles Saunders, amongst many other distinguished Awesome, yeah. Awesome experience, awesome experience. And um, Oh, hey, here we go, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hey. No, What's good up? time, good time. We just got through Kirk saying hello, Milton's introduced himself. So if I can just throw you into the deep end as soon as you <laughs> arrive, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. would you mind introducing yourselves to uh, people who have joined us? yourself why do i keep pluralizing that <laughs> anyway so sarah uh hello everyone i'm sarah a macklin i am the author of the royal heretic uh bride of the river god as well as several short stories um uh, my first writing love was sword and soul even though i didn't realize i was writing it um and i'm just an all-around fantasy girl 
comic geek, comic maker, and artist. Awesome. Now I just have I have physical copies of the other guys' books. I just was flashing. I don't have a physical copy of yours. Kevin, will this work? Can you put up the cover of Sarah's book, The Royal Heretic, on the screen? Or will we accidentally uh, make the whole call blow up? I don't know. Let's see what's happening here. Oh, no, no. Well, we see Kevin. <laughs> yeah, let me uh, give this a quick check, see if I can do this. So. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. This is, only, this is one of our very first live streams. We're still figuring out the nuts and bolts of it. Oh, Ooh, no, oh boy. No, not. <laughs> hey, Kevin. <laughs> there you go. The Royal Heretic. Mil oh. Milton has a copy. Milton has a copy. All right, here we're just. Oh, gonna... there we go. You know what? Never mind. Uh, everybody, look at uh, Milton's screen there. Thank you, Milton. <laughs> Sorry, I'll get I out of here. Copy. Sorry, I, I messed up. Sorry. I don't anyway, have a with me, so Royal Heretic. Right there we go. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Yeah, it's really lovely to have all three of you together here. Uh, it's really nice to have like a panel discussion. Just as a just as a host, it's nice. It's more relaxing. Take some pressure off me. You know, I've got more people to talk. It's great. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and Sarah, you know, uh, thank you so much for your uh, resharing. Uh, you know, yesterday on Twitter, uh, we had a really good day on the Kickstarter, and you contributed to that by uh, sharing the link. And I saw some other people pick it up, and some backers come in that were definitely coming off of you sharing that. So that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, we went from like seventy nine percent in the morning to eighty five. Uh, awesome. Felt good, and uh, we're at 86 as we record this. And as long as we don't get any cancellations, uh, I think we'll hit eighty seven later today. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which I suppose I should mention, just in case somebody's stumbling upon this thing for the first time, I'm Oliver. <laughs> I'm Oliver Brackenbury, editor of New Edge, Sword, and Sorcery, which I'll flash our issue zero on the screen. A um, new magazine, which currently, uh, as you can guess from what I was saying a second ago, is running a Kickstarter live now until 8 a.m. Saturday, March 4th, at which point I will relax and cheer or cry. We'll find out. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, I think I think I'll be sharing. I think I'll be sharing. I'm feeling pretty good after yesterday. But yeah, we'll be doing that to fund two more issues, which will feature new original fiction by Kirk A. Johnson and Sarah Macklin, as well as what I assume based on this track record will be an excellent piece of nonfiction by Milton Davis, profiling the father of Sword and Soul, who his book I've got handy here is his most famous one, Charles Saunders. Uh, his book, Amaro, which I think it's fair to say the whole panel here, myself included, strongly recommend people check out. Yes, yep. Yep. Absolutely. 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 So, yeah. Um, so I got a whole bunch of questions, but, you know, if you guys think of something you just want to riff, throw it out there, I won't mind. Uh, I think we'll start with you, Sarah, if it's okay. I'm going to go even a little broader than Sword and Soul and just say Sword and Sorcery in general. What mm -hmm. qualities of it draw you as a reader and a writer? What, what pulled you in? You said with sword and sorcery in general? Yeah, just the whole the whole thing. It can be sword and soul spe more specifically if you want, but I mean just yeah, the whole the whole last thing. Well, um sword and sorcery is what I grew up reading. Um my first books were by Mercedes Lakey. Um so like a lot of the classic, you know, one character is a magician, one character is a swords person is what my foundation was based on. And of course, with Mercedes Lakey, most of these characters were women. So mm. it just came naturally that all, practically all of my duos were women. So, um, and then of course, being the obstinate child I was, uh, of course, there's gotta be a black girl because I, am going to play in these worlds yeah. i don't care what anybody thinks <laughs> so there was a someone who said you can't do that i was the child that said okay watch me <laughs> so that that so i just came from a desire to play in these worlds and the more i learned about african history the more i wanted to create worlds that reflected my heritage so even now i'm trying to think of one that would take place more in my home state of south carolina which is my people live near charleston so we have a lot of gullah influences and there's a lot of carryover culture from africa that's still alive today so mm -hmm. that's just something I want to play with. That's awesome. Now, uh, for, for those who aren't familiar with it, before we move on to the other two, uh, what would the Gullah influences entail? Um, the Gullah Geechee are a group of people that run from, I think, the 
bottom of North Carolina up until about the Savannah region of Georgia. So that whole coastal area, you'll find a lot of sea islands that were separated from the mainland coast and culture. So a lot of their native West African and Central African cultures were allowed to flourish and meld and become something entirely new. So just from me learning that a lot of the words that I learned from relatives that still live down there were African layover words, Hmm. but they're words that are just in my natural South Southern South Carolina vernacular. So um, like a lot of the dishes that you hear about from Charleston, like shrimp and grits and red, red rice and the red beans and rice and dishes like that are adaptations of native West African and Central African foods. So um, it's, it's an entirely separate culture that has thrived and unfortunately is a little bit endangered today hmm. because of, well, the Southern version of gentrification. So hopefully more people will pick it up and embrace their roots so it can continue on. Well, I mean, I would be interested certainly to read a story that you would weave that into and even for the specifics that you've described, but also broadly, I think food doesn't get covered a lot in sword and sorcery. You run into that more like epic high fantasy stuff, people aping hobbits, you know, talking about food endlessly, or maybe more YA stuff, kind of like Redwall and those books, endless descriptions of feasts. But you don't often get much more than Conan ate a big leg of meat and then, you know, punched a guy and we move on. <laughs> so, you know, getting, getting, getting some like specificity, some culture into the food, I think is a real cool angle. Um, Kirk, what's uh, what's your brief uh, origin story with Sword and Sorcery? Now, you and I talked on the podcast, but let's assume people yeah, are watching yeah, this is now are not familiar with that long... recording. <clears throat> well, it started, let me see. Uh, yeah, if, as far as I can go far back as I remember, um, it started with really um, um, the Sword and Sandal movies from back in the day, watching that on TV with my dad. Watching Hercules, Steve Reeves' Hercules and Pretty much, that's my that'd be my favorite uh, genre at that point. And then already, oh, I'm already like watching monster movies from back in the day, and then discovering Conan in Marvel Comics. You know, being the only kid in the neighborhood who didn't get um, X Men or Spider Man or any other any of those cats, I was the only one getting either Conan the Barbarian or um, Warlord with uh, on DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, and really just getting into that that pre-industrial ancient world uh, milieu um, that I really just really gravitated towards. I think it was I think it had a lot to do with the swords, to be honest with you. <laughs> I collecting swords, with, you know, watching those kind of movies with my dad and stuff, and really being fascinated with that just the ancient world and history, awesome. and and. And yeah, and like Sarah was saying, it's it's you know you don't see us in there, so you know when you and these are comics I'm reading, so I'm always looking visually for the one black character <laughs> in the in the story, or and you never hardly ever see him in in um, sword and sandal on TV. So when I discovered literature and and started reading stuff and finding characters not specifically described, uh, yeah, they're black to me then. You know, and that's how that's how I just kept going. And how about you, Milton? What was your uh, gateway drug for sword and sorcery at large? You know, when I when I when I initially talk about it, I usually talk about the uh, the Conan uh, comics with Marvel. Um, I've always been a big history buff, love history and get nerd out on certain parts of history. But um, I was kind of an indirect comic book fan. Um, I read some comic books, but my cousin and my best friend were like really deep into comics and they would want to introduce me to the Conan books because they knew I was like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But when I started reading the novels, I kind of got a little disappointed with some of the descriptions I saw because the novels, the, like Marvel kind of like softened some things you know, <laughs> yeah. when they when they did the illustrations and stuff. And so you didn't get the real full Conan until you read the novels and stuff. And um, that kind of like, and I and kind of like Kirk and like Sarah, I'm like looking where, where I am. Although I can say that Robert E. Howard did incorporate some black people into his stories. It's just how he did it, which was, you know, right. kind of like, um, kind of, you know, made me feel a little uncomfortable. 
Um, very, but then I just very. jumped down the rabbit hole. I read the Eric books. You know, I read uh, just about everything that was involved with, you know, Sword and Sorcerer. I got into all these different books and stuff like that. And still, you know, looking to see um, my historical culture represented. And it wasn't until the 90s when I went through, I call it my African Renaissance, when I tried to learn everything about African history and culture, when I started coming with the ideals of writing something like this. And um, mm-hmm. played around with it for years until I finally sat down and started writing and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, um, I like that historical uh, aspect to it. Um, yeah. I like learning about historical cultures and how people lived. Um, and it's just it's just fascinating to me. And to be able to take that and incorporate it in that that into a fictional background is even uh, even more because I'm, 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 I want people to like history like I do. And one of the best ways to do it, I found out, is through fiction. You know, um, Mm -hmm. if I sat there and read dates to you all day, you you know, your eyes would glass over. But if I talk about a place that um, Changa visited because he was doing this adventure, then all of a sudden you're interested in that place because you're interested in what Changa does. Uh, I actually had a person that after I let out the first Changa Safari book, I had a, a guy from Australia get in contact with me. And he actually did research on East African Swahili cultures after he read Changa because before he read Changa, he didn't even know that that existed. And so that's the kind of thing that makes me smile because now I'm exposing somebody to a part of history that they never really thought about or realized. And they're coming to it with interest because it relates to something that they care about. And yeah, exactly. Think- they got they got those memories of reading your characters and being like, okay, you know, I can engage with this on a personal level. Now I want to go learn those dates, learn, you know, those events and kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And when I had a chance to meet Charles Saunders, um, that was a monumental moment. It was kind of a, kind of made me angry too, because I was like, this guy had this stuff out all this time and I didn't even know anything about it. <laughs> I mean, this book came out in the late 70s. That's around the same time I was getting into Robert E. Howard yeah. and the and, uh, and, and books and different things like that, you know. And so, but, you know, and, and, to, and to read Amaro and just see the way that he, you know, he was doing everything that I wanted to see done um, I even tell people sometimes if I had read um, Immoral, I probably would have never written so and so because I would have got what I was looking for. <laughs> oh, yeah. No reason for me to do it now. It's right there, you know, and it's done, doing better than I could ever do it, you know, that kind of thing. Ah, you could always, always use more. I mean, um, yeah, we were talking about this a little bit before we went live. And for those uh, listening and watching who aren't familiar, Charles Saunders, he suffered essentially. I'm going to compress a lot of this down. There's more detail, but as I understand it, he really suffered from just some bad luck with publishing and promotion. Uh, he was not put out there the way he should have been, and as a result, uh, his you know his initial trilogy of Amaro books, books two and three, didn't come out for sale until one was out of print or something stupid. Uh, and so you just uh, all kinds of stuff like that that just really sabotaged uh, getting his name out, getting his stories out, which is such a shame. Played a role, perhaps you know, Milton and you not discovering him until much later uh mm-hmm. and i talk about discovery of sword and soul why don't we come around to sarah again and uh sarah what would you say you know from, we talked about sword and sorcery at large when, when did you uh first start picking up and, and, and getting into uh sword and soul uh was it charles saunders or was it something else you know i i kind of did it just out of my own want to and see black people in such a milieu. I want to see black people as wizards. In fact, I have a t-shirt that I got from um, Fire Magazine, the magazine of black speculative fiction that says, you know, black wizards, black warlocks, black demons, black gods, black angels, everything. And it was just, I started writing as a teenager and putting more black characters in my stories it didn't matter if i had a white protagonist there was going to be black characters in this story to a point where i was like you know what why am i writing about white main characters why don't i just write about a black main character who says i can't write about a black main character and since fantasy is my love it just seemed natural to you know look into more of you know the African um, histories and draw from that and what a medieval world would look but looking towards these cultures and then on I forgot which 
community, I ran across Mr. Milton. Ah. And it was like, wait, there are other people doing this too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a word for this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I was like, at that point, I was like, yes, yes, all, all of it. I'm writing all of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm sorry, sir. I've had my short-term memory just sandblasted by working on the Kickstarter every waking second for the last few weeks. I, I know I read this at some point, and I just can't remember anymore. Was your um was your first publication with Milton or, or am I getting mixed up? No, no, it was it was, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was um, my first publication was my first short story and my first novel was with Milton because um, awesome. my first uh, short story was marked in the um, Griot's 2 anthology and then The Royal Heretic was my debut novel. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and I'm curious in your, in your journey towards going, you know what, I want to write, you know, black protagonist, God damn it. Uh, was, was there a particular, uh, text? Was, like I say, what did you read Charles Saunders and Morrow and then go, I want to do this. Or did you maybe watch a movie and just like some, or was it more gradual? Was, was there, was there not like a light switch moment or more just a, a slide into it? Um, it wasn't because, uh, let's see. Well, my first characters I attempted to write in sword and sorcery was, basically a self-insert of me and my best friend from sixth grade just awesome. you know rub the serial numbers off yeah. um because it was a white girl who was like six feet tall and this little black girl who was of course the only black girl at school and that was me in most of my classes <laughs> but it's like as i developed that character into you know her own character instead of just my playful self-insert i started coming up with her family and then her village and then her culture and it was like you know i want to do more of this more than i want to do the black kid who's the only kid in this environment so it's like i'm like why why not yeah. It's like this. I'm more interested in writing this than what I've always read. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and then it's like, where, where are all the black protagonists? Where are all the black women with magic? So it's like, if what's the quote? If you can't find a book you want to read, then you have to write it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's it. Came from my need to to see the stories that I wanted to read. And if nobody else is going to write it, then gosh darn it, I'm going to write it. Said like a, a true writer. Yeah, no, awesome. Uh, Kirk, um, where, where did you first start picking up uh, the pen and stuff? Now, I, I, I do remember, but only because I, I, I've done a full interview with you before, uh, you also found your first short fiction publication with Milton uh, in Grio yeah. 1, right? Right, right. Um, which was, thank you so very much, Milton, for that, always. Um, oh yeah, I, 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 in college, I was, um, in terms of writing, I was a screen, I was a, taking screenwriting classes in, in college. So I would write, you know, short films and stuff with weird shit happening to my character in Brooklyn. Um, so I didn't really pick up like writing, uh, sword and sorcery, sword and soul until, um, I read, uh, Charles Saunders. So, you know, when I picked up Amaru, and I started, actually, it was, it was watching, um, it was, I can't get it, I'm trying to remember the name of this website. It was, I think it was on DodgeNet. And, uh, um, shit, man, it was like Heroes of Dark, Dark uh, Heroes of Dark Fantasy of something like that nature. And, you know, the guy had uh, a, um, a nice pages uh, list of, of sword and sorcery heroes. So they had one that I already know, you already know Conan, and I already know Fafford and the Great Mouser. Yeah. And then I saw like Amaru down there and I was like, and I knew Kane. I was like, oh, Amaru, I never heard of that one. So when I clicked it and I saw this big page of this brother with a turban and, and a sword and everything. And I was like, holy shit, this is real. <laughs> My bad, sorry, I didn't mean to curse. But I mean, like that just blew me away. And I had to find out more what, what was going on, doing the research, going in, going in. And that's when I really started like picking up the tennis. Like, I can actually be a part of this. You know what I mean? Because I had yeah. that dry spell in high school. <clears throat> in high school, got a dry spell where it was partying, women, 
the teenage stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I just I just went in on the teenage life. Um but uh in college I, I started just gathering more in terms of reading more, uh maybe, you know, just thinking more, playing more with my imagination of other things that can be possible in my life than just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. So, and because uh, yeah. to, to what we were talking about earlier with like the publication issues yeah. and, and lack of decent promotion, oh, you I'm know, uh, you didn't. Oh, something turned on. Oh, uh, sorry, man. I, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yeah. No. All right. I think, so, uh, yeah, I think what audio testing audio came on. Oh, um, okay. Sorry, man. We had we had a hiccup no. there, I guess. But uh, yeah. but yeah, what I was gonna say was. Um, Okay. You no, know, Amaro Imar- yeah. was was out and around in the early '80s, but you didn't uh, find him until the 2000s, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it's like in the 2000s, and I went on Amazon and bought like I want to say I, I bought the first book, read it, and then I bought uh, the second one. I remember the second one also being for sale, so I got that as well, and then I bought another copy of them. So I put so I have like two copies of each of the original. Stories, nice. really books. One, one up, uh, three of them in plastic, and the other one is out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those, those, those are very important. Those are so important in terms of just, you know, I, I imagine what I'm going through. There's somebody else going through it. Yeah. And seeing this opened me up to the idea of not, you know, there's some there's spaces that you can be a part of. You know what I mean? Your what you are love, your passion, what you found so interesting and engaging. You're not uh you don't see yourself represented in them. Mm. Right. And then when you do see yourself represented in them, that's that was like a, a light bulb, like, oh shit, oh, I can actually be in this really, really. I can yeah. start I can create in here. I don't have to like use it as, you know, like uh, uh throwaway entertainment. It's no mm. longer throwaway entertainment. That's what I mean. Now it's like I can be a fan of something. Yeah, I can get, I can really get into this, and that's that was the Charles Saunders. Who's I'm so sad I didn't get a chance to ever really meet him or chat with him. It's it's, yeah, and I I know there's a lot of work being done by various parties trying to figure out the uh, the rights situation to his work so they can be collected and published again. But we'll we'll see what happens there. I mean, I think we're all rooting for it. That's for sure. Uh, I'm rooting for a hardcover for his book. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, and also maybe collect some of the 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 harder to find stories like the Desoye tales that were in um, the Amazon yep. uh, and the um, Sword and Sorcerer's collection, stuff like that, right? Like the, the right. they were a little harder to track down. Uh, or there's like a um, well, there's an anthology. There's a there's a there, but, is it, but is it in print? Yeah. Oh, okay. My mistake. <laughs> Pardon yeah. me. No, all did right, you? Right, yeah, right. no, 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 no. <laughs> I think uh, I remember because I have it. <laughs> I know it exists, but I I, right. I just thought maybe the, like like a lot of the other stuff that Saunders did, like you know the the rights have kind of lapsed and it's harder to get a copy. Oh, so I'm like sorry. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm saying I want like new collected publications. Um, but uh, but Milton, you you did have the good fortune to meet and uh, and work with uh, Charles. Uh, wh- where was was did, huh, why don't we kind of like blend two questions here? Where where was your beginnings of writing your own sword and soul tales? Uh, and was it reading Charles or was it later getting to work with Charles like where, or was it nothing to do with Charles at all? Where, where was the beginning of that for you? Well, I began, um, I really start. I began attempting to write so and so back in the nineties. That was the same time I was going through my, um, I said my African history right. re- renaissance. And it was actually a um, historical fiction novel that sparked me. It was a book called Segu by Maurice Conde. And it was basically a historical fictional um book based on uh the uh, a family in africa uh man i if you hadn't asked if i hadn't talked about it, i could have talked about the particular uh tribe of people it would come but it was basically Bamana. talking about what this about Bamana what the, pardon the bamana yeah the bamana the yeah uh, the yeah. bambara Bambar. yeah and the it was Bambar uh is Bamana, yeah. it was talking about this family and what they were going through during the 18 the early the late the early 19th century all these different influences, you know, from the Europeans, from uh, uh, different African tribes, and each person in the family kind of represented something that was happening during that time. It was the first time I ever read any type of fiction based on African culture and history. And that just blew me away. And it was like, I say, this is what I want to do. This is what the kind of writing I want to write. And that's around the time where I actually started with the idea of writing um, Meji, my first novel. 
Um, that's when I started doing the research for Medjit. And that took forever because I had a lot of start and stops. There were people I was working with from an artistic standpoint that were there and disappeared and all that kind of stuff like that. And it wasn't until um, 2005 where I really sat down and got serious about, about doing all this. And it's funny because that's around the same time that I met Charles. Um, I had, you know, I had been researching because something was telling me that somebody else that has, to, has had to have done this before. I'm not one of those people that feels like, you know, especially when it comes to stuff with black creativity, is that there's one person that just hadn't done it yet. My thing is more there are people that have been trying to do it, but because of the powers that be and the gatekeepers, they've been prevented from doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I kept saying somebody had to do this before, just too much information out of it. And around the time that Nightshade decided to re-release the Amaro books, that's when Charles started popping up everywhere. And I tried to get in contact with Nightshade, say, hey, you know, I... I'm, I'm kind of naive about the business. I thought I just talked to somebody and say, hey, I want to get in contact with this writer and they would actually give me their information. <laughs> that was that simple. Oh, man. I wish, I wish but, it was that easy. Somebody yeah, but of course, I heard nothing from Nightshade. But then um, when Nightshade decided to to drop the books, a friend of mine, um, friend of mine we, that, we, that we call Uraeus, um, he announced in this forum I was in that he would be picking up the publishing of the Amaro books. Hmm. And I was like, oh man, you, him and I were pretty good friends. I said, man, you actually know Charles Saunders? He's like, yeah, man. I said, well, can you know, get me in contact with him? And so, you know, he talked to Charles and we exchanged a couple of emails. And at the time I was working on Meji and I finally finished Meji. So I asked him if he would take a look at it, expecting him to say no, but he said yes. And then he read it. And then, um, I found out that he liked it. <laughs> and so at that point, that's kind of how our relationship started. And um, it was from that relationship that uh, that most of all of my um, stories, um, novels from that time point came from. Griot's was actually a result of a discussion that he and I had about mm-hmm. other authors that were probably trying to do the same thing that we were doing, publish you know, African-based sword and sorcery stuff, but weren't, they weren't getting the opportunity. And that's why we created that anthology. That actually was my first anthology. And that's the anthology that Kirk was in. And um, we got people who had never written Sword and Soul and were giving it a shot. People who had written stories 20, 30 years ago and had tried to get them published but couldn't. Um, and now here was a venue for them to do that. And we had a variety of stories, you know, um, of main characters. But then the second anthology, we decided, hey, let's do one that focused on Black women as main characters, because at the time, the only black woman that was had a sword that was in sword and sorcery was DeSoye. And Charles had created that character as well for the Amazon anthology. You know, he had been approached saying, look, can you create a character? He said, look, yeah, I can. So he that's what he created DeSoye for. And that's when I had the chance to publish Sarah. And um, I read her story marked and I said, man, this is great. And that's why it was the first story in the anthology because <laughs> Sarah, Sarah brought it. She came, she came and I was like, this, now this is what I'm talking about right here. And so everything that we did together um, was based on um, trying to expose more people to Sword and Soul. The Sword and Soul um, moniker was something that he came up with when he was in an interview when Simon, some, somebody asked him to describe what he wrote and he oh, called it Sword and Soul. And um, I got a chance to publish some of his books that had been unpublished before. Um, the short story collection, New and Body Tales, that Kirk mentioned, um, that was another project that he always wanted to do that I had a chance to publish as well. And so that was basically was actually helping him complete his legacy, with which he Man, wanted to do more. You know, that's beautiful. Like I, one thing I've really enjoyed. I'm I'm so early in my my own journey as an editor, but one thing I've really enjoyed is the opportunity to treat creatives the way I myself a writer like to be treated. And then I think just think about how next level that must have been. You know, for I'm sure you you also enjoyed that, but you you know how next level it would be to turn around to someone who's inspired you, who's come before you, and and treat them well and help them, as you say, complete their legacy. Like that's yeah. wonderful. The the biggest challenge that you run into as a black writer that we ran into with Sword and Sorcery and that Charles ran into with Morrow is that his stories were being published through a lot of small um, periodicals during the 70s. I I have the opportunity to have a copy of some of those things. But for some odd reason, when somebody decided to write, publish them as novels, they had to change it. All of a sudden, now everybody was concerned about the audience. Now, the audience has been reading this stuff just like it is. You know, some of the earlier magazines has the moral with big afros and stuff like that. But for some odd reason, when we got to the novel level, 
all of a sudden we had to make it more palatable for a certain palatable for a certain audience, you know, and that's where, and that's how Amaro got hurt. Instead of just taking the stories and, and publishing them as they were, describing it as they were, uh, the publishers at the time felt like they needed to do something to kind of like, you know, make the audience, um, you know, um, ex- more acceptable and more accepting of and stuff. And that's, I feel like that's what hurt him early on. Um, there was another author um, a few years ago who came out with a story that was kind of African-based. And he kind of tried to use Amara as an example of that. If you base something on African culture, um, it wouldn't be successful. Uh. And the approach that he took was totally wrong. But, you know, um, I didn't want to get into a debate about it. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. I, I could tell that, you know, you know, so you can't really base things that happen in publishing the success or failure or something because something wasn't good or because the audience didn't accept it. It was some a lot, a lot of times it has something to approach, but that's a different, that's a different subject. But another yeah. thing that I, I, I wanted to touch on was on when Sarah was talking about her journey and she mentioned something that I think a lot of creative black creatives go through is that, you know, you write and cre- you create based on what you see. And it's interesting that sometimes us as, as black creators, when we start to create something, we create stuff with a white main character because that's what we're used to seeing. Yeah. I know a lot of black artists did the same thing. I had one black artist friend of mine that said, when he decided to get into artwork, he had to learn how to draw black people because everything that he did was based on the white characters that he saw. And even my first story, the story that eventually became Changa Safari started out as Changa not being the main character. Really? There was another main character because I was basing it off this. I can't remember the name of the, of the Conan story. It's the one Conan story where this boy and his dog are like fighting the picks and Conan just kind of shows up in the middle of the story. And, and that's, I like the way that the fact that in this story, Conan wasn't the main character. He was just like one of the secondary characters. And so I said, I want to write something like that. And so I started like that. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, why am I making this character, the character that looks like me, the secondary character? And so I said, let's switch this bad boy around. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the story that eventually became Chonga Safari, you know, just switching it around like that. But we have to go through that. Some of us have to go through that process, you know, to where we have to kind of like um, evolve in this whole thing about representing ourselves in, in these subjects. And I like the fact now that since we've been doing it for so long that we have a generation of, of uh, young writers coming up and creators coming up that don't have to go through that process because they've been seeing it the entire time, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's a natural, it's a natural flow for them to do it as opposed to us having to take those extra steps to get where we were to be creative. That too must be very gratifying. Also for people like me who had their memory kind of tweaked, I was like, what Conan story was that? It was beyond the black river. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what I, yeah, I remember yeah. that. That was, that was probably my favorite Conan story. Um, because one. of the it way it was told, Western feel to it, you know, like yeah, yeah, it does, it does, like on the frontier, the pixel of break, all that kind of thing. You know? <laughs> and I love that dog too. I mean, any any story with a good dog in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, you know, we've talking a lot about so sort of the, the broad strokes of like you know all the reasons one would want to have stories uh, rooted in secondary worlds or primary or, or our own uh, to do more with uh, various uh, forms of black and African culture, not just Western or medieval. Why don't we get more specific? Uh, Sarah, let's start with you. Uh, now you talked a little bit about the Gullah thing. Uh, w- w- maybe if, we'll go, if you want to go deeper on that or talk about something else, but like what would be um, just something fun that, you know, in your research, uh, you know, or, or in your lived experience you want to bring into the writing? that you think is particularly interesting, some cool historical facts, some neat cultural uh, thing? Like, what, what, what is what is a, a specific thing that you think is pretty neat that you have seen in Sword and Soul or want to bring into Sword and Soul? Ooh, that's a tough one. We can um, circle back if you want. Give you some time. Yeah, come back to me. Come back to me. All right, you, th- all right, you think about that. Kurt, you're up. <laughs> nah, nah, see that? <laughs> Kurt, when she said that, and, and I was like thinking, I was like, oh, that's a really, really hard one. And she was like, hey, come back to me. I was like, oh, no. Well, you know what? We can go to the history nerd. We can, we, Kurt, we'll, we'll give you, we'll give you a breather too, okay? We'll, we'll, go, we'll go around, we'll hit up. No, no, no. I'll, I'll I know, he, I know he's ready. <laughs> no, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll okay, take okay. It. I'll take you it. go first. <laughs> so, so, wait, we, we, we uh, tell me the question again. So yeah, this could be from the open acts. It could be from uh, anything. But like, what is what is a particularly like specific thing that you've come across either in someone else's work or some of your own research that's gone into your stuff or may yet to go into your stuff to do with you know uh, African black culture 
uh, that you think is a particularly cool piece of like history or culture or both to weave into a sword and soul tale? Because we've been talking kind of broadly, right? So like what what's yeah, the um, like thing or element or, or group or people or what yeah. You know, two things. Um, music. Um realizing how diverse how ethnically diverse Africa really is. And how there's like over a hundred languages in on the continent. Over a hundred and and that blew my mind. Just just the 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 dearth of languages really that they have that that's on the continent is astounding. Some of them we don't even you know, some some linguists can't even figure out yet. That's how you know, I mean that and secret societies. Mm. Um secret societies. Uh I know the I was if I remember correctly, I know the Leopard Society that they have um in I want to say Nigeria and Ghana. Mm. Um and and the rituals that that they go through. Um, I'm talking broad too. I mean, to be honest, it's this. I'm my head is so full of them. There's so many different things that about the continent. Yeah, but no, that's, that's so a great place. I mean, amazing. secret societies. How sword and sorcery is that? Sees, sees, yeah. And, um, fun fact: Nubia has the most pyramids. Oh, nice! The most pyramids <laughs> are built are in. Um, Nubia in Sudan, um, as and there was, those are as as burial as tombs, as tombs. They're the most, and that's and yeah, come back to me, man. <laughs> like, there's so many. I, I got so many jiggling in my head right about now. Uh, no, no, it's all good. I mean, like I said, like the, like I said, the secret side is great. That's something I I would love to learn more about. I, I have a very surface level understanding right. of some research I did for something I didn't end up writing. But yeah, the Leopard yeah, Society. Like, you're right. Yeah, Nigeria. Right metallurgy. Now. Yeah, you know um, that that uh, after there's a I don't want to I don't want to say sub-Saharan I, I hate that term, but um, I want to like um, lower the Sahel and south of the Sahel, hmm. um, developing their own um, developing iron smelting, without having going through the step of learning how to use bronze. Oh, I didn't know that. So go from Stone Age straight into the Iron Age. And you don't, and that's, that's below the Sahel. It's south of the Sahel. So north, you have this, you know, Egypt had, went through a Bronze Age and, and Sudan. Um, the Nakh culture in Nigeria went through an Iron Age. <laughs> so that's interesting. That's also cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, dude. <laughs> and, iron, right. and, and, and iron by itself is not good for making weapons. <laughs> no, you've got to alloy it, right? Yeah, you gotta you gotta add charcoal, you gotta add uh, a carbon to it, and make it steel because it chips at the edges and stuff. So that was a cool part too. Oh, wow. oh geez. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you got it, you got it. All right, uh, I'll, I'll take you, I'll take you off the hot seat, uh, Milton. Right. I know you're ready for this. Uh, you know, any number of things, just from like one Changa book, I'm sure. Uh, what? Uh, but what would you, uh, you know, what would you like to share? Um, I think I'm I'm with uh, uh, Kurt on the fact that uh, just the diversity of the cultures in Africa was one of the things that I wanted to kind of highlight, which is what I did in my first book, Meji. Uh, I wanted to, I, I based each culture in Meji on a different culture in Africa. And um, I wanted to show that diversity in those cultures. And I brought cultures that in close proximity to each other that, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been like that on the African continent. Like my, the Sesu were based on the Zulu and I had them connecting with um cultures that were based on like uh, West African cultures, like the Yoruba and different things like that. So being able to play with that was a, uh, um, and it was, was fun to me. And, and again, exposing people to that. Um, right now, um, my biggest focus, which I've been teasing people with forever, is that I'm really into the um, kingdom of Mercuria. Um, Mercuria developed in the region of Nubia. Um, it was a Christian nation. Um, um, was um the first actually one of the first kingdoms to actually defeat the um the islam the islamic um, um movement across north africa um they did it twice and ended up developing uh what they call a, a, a peace treaty called a bach which was one of the longest peace treaties in the world last for like 700 years and and just being able to write about that culture and bring some uh, uh some some um, eyes on it um, this is the same area that uh, the Egyptians called Taseti, and they were known to land, the land of the bow. And one of the reasons that they were so formidable was because of their archers. Um, the, the, the Arabs called them the eye smiters. 
because they would shoot people. They were known for shooting people in the eye. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, there's one story that the Arabs said that the, the Arabs would come out and you know how warriors taunt each other. And the um, Mercurians would taunt the Arabs and say, where do you want us to shoot you with this bow? And the Arab would be like, oh, in the elbow. And the guy would do it. <laughs> so that's how that's how good they, they were supposed to be, you know. So and yeah, just being able to write. Yeah, I mean, to be able to write about that culture and talk about it and and, and bring some um and bring some, um I said, some knowledge and some eyes on it. Because they, they were even they even were trying to contact, you know, some of the Christian units during, you know, during the um during the Crusades and stuff, because they were basically isolated. From all the rest of the culture, uh, um, all the rest of Christian cultures and stuff like that. So to be able to write about them and bring some um, bring some uh, focus on there with, with at the same time. Pull on that culture for some great fantasy backgrounds and stuff like that, you know, um, think about it. These were people who had become a Christian nation. But at the same time, when they were traveling this, in this area, they were passing through ancient Nubian cultures like Moroe and stuff like that. And they were seeing these pyramids that Kirk talks about. Uh-huh. So to talk about those cultures and how they developed and how they interact with each other would be, is, to me, is a really cool background for writing like sword and soul and sword and sorcery. Yeah, it just seems like there's just so much to to dig into and it's yeah. relatively untouched compared to, you know, hey, you ever heard yeah, of uh, medieval France? I mean, honestly, you can, you can, I can, I can sit down mm-hmm. and write a standard sword and sorcery story. I could write a medieval story because I've been taught that all my life. Oh. You know, I could sit down and write kings and queens and courts and squires and knights, and I could just do that. You know, because it's been we've been exposed to that um, in, through our education system. But it's different when you're sitting down and you're writing a story from a African culture, or if I was, or even if I was writing a story from a um, traditional uh, Chinese culture or a Japanese culture or India or East Indian culture, because now you're dealing with different, you're, you're dealing with different cultures and you have to do the research on it and find out about it. Yeah. And just, just by the details itself brings a freshness to the genre because now right. you're, you're dealing with the same thing. You're dealing with Kings and Queens and jealousies and stuff like that, but how people go about it mm. isn't, is different because now you're dealing with a different, a different culture. It has a different yeah. way to go going about those things. Yeah, and like I, you know, I uh, I often hear in a variety of contexts this writing advice about like you know specifics are universal. You know, sometimes people worry, oh, if I make the story too particular to any one thing, nobody will be able to relate to it. You know, they're not from this part of the world, or they don't, you know, whatever. But like I've enjoyed tomorrow, and it's got you know it's not rooted in anything to do with me. I've enjoyed all of your writing. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, like I think I think the specifics make it interesting, and then you still always got as you were saying underneath the universals of like people's motivations. You still got kings. You still got people who are out right. to try and survive, out to try and make a living, whatever. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. If, Meaning, I, if yeah. I could just if I could just throw, throw some shine on my on my colleagues here, please. Uh, of how I feel about what they write about and. Um, the thing I really like, like about Sarah in, in the Royal Heretic is that she's writing something that's based on Egyptian culture. And you don't see a lot of that done in Sword and Sorcery, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the way that she handled that. That's what really got me excited about reading her, reading the Royal Heretic. It's probably me one of the best novels I've written in that genre because of the way that she handles it and stuff like that. And as far as Kirk is concerned, you know, when I read his, his new book, um, he does bring that element of cosmic cosmic horror into sword and soul that um haven't i haven't seen done a lot of you know and i like the way that he blends those two together and tells his stories like that so to see people like them coming to the genre um that's why i'm so excited when i see a new author coming to the genre because i'm always looking at what are they going to bring to sword and soul to expand it and then tell the stories in a different ways than that's normal that's normally done because the one thing that sword and soul does have in common is the incorporation of spirituality into the storylines because African there's not a separation in African culture between, you know, um, um, your daily life and the spirituality. And that's the one common denominator that you see in most all um, sword and soul stories, because if you're doing your right, your research the right way, it's just, it's just only natural that that's going to be there. And I'll be quiet now. I noticed that too. That's like, that's, I, I feel it's like, like, uh, like, one of the mo- more important elements of Sword and Soul is the addition of of spirituality and the context the context of spirituality within within the cultures that you're creating. Like even in a secondary world, 
you know, that's you, you creating a secondary world and you add those African influences and understandings of the continent into that world. Yeah, spirituality the, is definitely a big part of it. Yeah, in most African cultures, the relationship between the living and the dead is 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 unique and different. Right. And it's not I, separated. It's a continuous right. thing. And it's, you know, one one continues to support and, and affect the other. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a, a, a something that you if you if you study African cultures that it's it is it almost has to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Sarah, before I, I grill you on uh, for historical <laughs> specificities, would you like to talk to the spirituality aspect as well, or do you want to get, get to the historical thing? Oh, this is one of the things that I've talked about in one of my writing groups as well. Is like uh, for I know Black people across the diaspora, and for a lot of other cultures, what is considered magic for us is every day there is a blending between the not the spiritual or like the otherworldly things in every day you'll hear grandmothers talking about you know i grew up with if you're asleep and you felt like there was a weight on your chest that was a haint mm-hmm. it's like oh okay and there was there's no question of that it just is or if you're having a bad day the old hag is riding you it's just these common things that are not just oh superstition you know throw some salt and it'll be okay no this is these are things that are considered real and part of the world it's a feeling that the spiritual and the physical aren't two separate things but they affect each other so it's like I have a book and it's behind me on the shelf and I can't remember where it is, but um, talking about how African-American Christianity naturally incorporated a lot of the rituals and so on from their African ancestors and how we worship is a direct uh, reflection upon all the different cultures that were suddenly mashed together into one people and how there's a lot of honest p- paganism in our worship uh, beliefs and practices and things that you can see the direct correlations. So it's like, that's something that y- if you don't find that in a soul and sword story, I have to kind of side eye because it's, if you read African myths, it's all there. You're walking down the road and you'll talk to a spirit. Okay. We, I have stories of someone was walking down the road and they talked to an angel. Hmm. So it's like, it's one of those things that's just part and parcel with the genre. I think it's really interesting because, yeah, like you look at most... Um, you know, sort of traditional Western stuff starring guys who vaguely resemble me. And it's like, the other is very the other, right? It's, it's, it's so separate from daily life. It's so separate. And that's part of what makes it like, you know, especially read uh, a lot of the classic guys in the thirties, you know, cosmic horror, right? Kirk, like it would be the thing that is so not us. The thing we can't understand It is so separate. And so to have it woven into daily life, like spirituality, and I think it's kind of, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really intriguing difference that I definitely want to read more and see more of. Uh, so, uh, Sarah, it's okay if the answer is I don't want to. But was there any uh, was there any particular uh, you know piece of research that has come to mind while Kirk and Milton were, were talking about that uh, from your yes. own research? Food. Yeah, <laughs> love it, love it. Um, especially because I love to cook. So, uh, I, after watching um, the Netflix documentary High on the Hog. I immediately went and bought the book, and the more I'm reading about it, and it's like there's so many foods that she's talking about from the marketplaces. And I'm like, I've seen these foods. I know what these foods taste like yet. I have never set foot on the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. So it's, so I, in the book I'm currently working on um, is about to uh, quote unquote, African immigrants in uh, the largest city in my secondary world. And one of the things I'm so enjoying is having a market scene 
and having one of the characters, this is his first home cooking he's had since his parents returned home. So it's like the connection of food and family and culture is something I love to integrate into my stories. Um, And besides food, architecture, Mm -hmm. because growing up, you would have thought that Africa was devoid of any cities until the Portuguese arrived. Um, well, it was aliens, so, right? Who yeah. Atlanteans? Who, who <laughs> stuff? Uh, yeah, 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 ancient yeah, aliens. Yeah, ancient aliens, all astronauts. Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like <laughs> learning about um, all the cities that were in Africa and learning the different styles amongst the different uh, separate cultures and. That's why in the Royal Heretic, I tried to make sure that each of the three major uh, uh, sections of the empire had their own specific kind of architecture to denote the cultures they had come from. Um, So in that book, the northernmost culture, I have very loosely based on like Carthage. And then the southernmost culture, I very loosely based on, uh, like, the uh, Shanti and how their buildings and family compounds and such would have looked. So it's, it's so much fun to take these things, these little details, and adapt them to a whole new world. And as Milton said, get people curious about real history in our world. I, I very much appreciate and empathize with you saying very loosely based on because the history nerds, right? They'll come for you. Milton and I talk about this. But, you know. That's why I write fantasy and not historical <laughs> <Right>. fiction. <laughs> yeah, no, and I mean that's that's very very traditional sword and sorcery. You know, I always think of an exchange between Fritz Leiber and Lovecraft back in the '30s, where uh, Fritz Leiber was coming up with Lankmar, but at that point it wasn't going to be Lankmar; it was going to be Alexandria. Right, and it's going to be re- it's in the real world. Uh, it eventually became the story Adam's Gambit, which is kind of known as the less <laughs> not not a good one. Um, but the point is, uh, Lovecraft said to him, "Hey, man, no, 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 don't don't do Alexandria because the history nerds will come for you. Make it your own thing. Give yourself some wiggle room, and it's probably going to be more interesting that way anyway." Right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's a good thing to do. Um, we're coming around on an hour now. We're just about getting to the close. So I guess what I'd like to do is just kind of quickly run around the three of you uh, because, you know, Saunders, rightly so, gets mentioned and discussed a lot in the context of Sword and Soul. But I'm wondering, uh, and Kirk, I'll hit you for up first if that's okay, uh, if there are other Sword and Soul authors or Sword and Soul adjacents uh, that you would like to just bring to people's attention, whether uh, they're contemporary or, you know, have written anything since the 70s, like whoever it is. Uh, Kurt, if I can go with you first. Okay. Um, oh, well, off the top of my head, uh, Milton Davis <laughs> and Sarah Mecklen, they're <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm, Please mm-hmm. pick those guys up. Uh, <laughs> I've heard them, of them, yeah. Check, check them out. No, check them out. You will not be sorry. <laughs> it'll, it'll be, it's, it's so awesome to do that. Um, if anybody else, I would, um, and lately, Huh. There's actually maybe a couple of people, but they're not sword and soul per se. Well, maybe adjacent. Uh, yeah, like um, the Jilly Clark, who I, I, I've known a couple of times. He he doesn't do it, but he he's done it. I'll say yeah. that. Right. He's he's, he's been in real. heroic. Yeah, yeah, he's actually in in heroic fantasy quarterly a couple of times also. Mm-hmm. So um, but his his stuff is pretty powerful and it's. It's awesome. Check that out. Um, there's another, there's a young lady, uh, Denise Tapscott, who does um, more horror, which is in, Dip- in Gypsies, actually. She has one, Voodoo Kisses and and Voodoo Kisses and Gypsy Wishes, wishes which is pretty good. I, check, I, I would check that out also. Awesome. Um, 
All right, mm. uh, Milton. Mm. Uh, I know you have a, a long list of names. I'm sure you're thinking of, and I, I, I always feel bad when I put anybody on the spot and say like recommend some people because it's always like, oh, I'm gonna forget somebody. They're gonna not like me after that happens. So just you know, with the caveat, this is just what's coming up to to mind right now. Don't don't worry about trying to hit up everybody that you you, you love in the world. Uh, <laughs> who's a few names that you'd like to to chuck out, either contemporary or historical? I always do. I always do bad on these things because I always forget somebody and think about it later on. But of course, like Kurt says, I will, you know, check out Sarah's work. I would check out his work. Um, uh, I, would, I would add Fenderson Jelly Clark as well. Fenderson actually has a story in Griot's and he has a story in Griot's of the Spear. Um, so uh, he doesn't write it. I think he has a new st- book that's going to be coming out pretty soon. That's kind of along the same vein. Um, um, there's also um, a Balogun OJ Tade who, um, Right. I have a story about um, once upon a time in Africa. Um, Balagoon is unique because not only is he a, not only is he a Yoruba priest, he's also an African martial artist. So you get um, details in his stories that you wouldn't normally get in some of our other stories because he's coming. Uh, I, I would say probably closer to the culture, that type of thing. Um, you had a wave of new people coming out a few years ago. Um, who you, I'm, I don't know if you would really say they were sword and soul, but they all, but they had used African culture as their background, you know, uh, Tony Annie M.A.'s uh, books. Um, um, one that I really like is, um, I think his name is um, Edwin Winter, Rage of Dragons. Um, right. that, that's an excellent series. He, his, his stuff is actually based on, um, on uh, coastal culture. Um, and the story is, you know, it incorporates dragons because everybody likes dragons, but um, the details of his stories are really great. Um, I love his stories. I read uh, that he has two books out right now and uh, that I've read and, and they're like relentless action field you know, stories that and there's so many individual authors that we have in, in griots um, that the, the, the thing I guess the thing right now is that um, I'm looking for authors that are being more consistent, you know, as far as publishing books in the genre. There are people that will jump in and out, um, you know, David Durham had his Acacia series. Um, which was, uh, I would say, probably more Eurocentric, but it does, but it is based on African culture as well. So there's a bunch of people that I know the names I'm forgetting right now um, that, that yell at me. <laughs> uh, a lot of it has been, a lot of it has actually been done in comic books. Um, Peter Daniel um, has a um, has a, uh, a character named Cheoma, and his stuff was, if if it was written novel wise, I would consider it sword and soul. I mean, even what really I do consider it that from a from a from a graphic novel standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, based from African culture and traditions and stuff like that. So, um, it's it's a lot of people. It's a, it's a pretty good amount of people out there doing it. But we always need more. We always welcome more. Yeah, make more people aware of it. Uh, Sarah, who would you like to uh, give a shout out here? Y'all stole all my names. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with going last with this question. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, uh, mm, uh, a lot of the na- unfortunately, a lot of the names I would think of naturally, um, they are genre hoppers like I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, while they have done sword and soul in the past, they are not currently doing it as far as I know. Um, but uh, one I can think of off the top of my head, um, Devon Saunders, Sanders, right. excuse me. Yeah. Um, right. He has a novella, uh, She Who Hears All Whispers. Uh, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I got it right here. There you go. Okay. Oh, nice. Right. Um, I love his stuff. It's truly from the heart. Um, he knows how to kick you in the chest. Um, PJ Clark knows how to kick you in the chest. Um, those are my favorite writers. Um, yeah, of course, Milton, um, who is the godfather of Sword and Soul. Uh, there's there's so many people, um, whose names I cannot think of right now. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. They're just quietly judging you for it. <laughs> hey, I love them all. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but if if you want to collect writers, definitely go through Griots and Griots 2 because all of those stories are incredible. And if you have never read Soul and Sword and Soul before, that will give you the best introduction that you can yeah. get into the genre. 
Yeah, and take it from a, an editor who did just that. Uh, Sarah is 100% correct. I read Kirk's story in Grio 1, and then I checked out the Obanox, and I was like, man, he's working on his craft. I can see some, you know, some real quality improvement here. Uh, and I reached out, and here we are. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. In action. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you all so much for, for giving me an hour of your time here. I don't want to take up too much more on your, your Saturdays, uh, but it has been wonderful to get you together sort of in the room with me here. It's been real nice, Sarah, to, you know, uh, meet you in quotation marks. I mean, we've been talking in the email, but you know, meet you, meet you, you know, uh, as before we get to work together, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be comfortable enough to say we will get to work together. It will fun, positive thinking. Yes. You know, right. and last I looked, maybe it went up while we've been talking. Cause that's always great. Right. When you like go have a shower, you come back and you, you know, the Kickstarter goes up some more. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, and yeah, just, uh, you know, go around the table, quick reminder for anybody, you know, this is their first exposure to this whole thing. Uh, you know, Kirk is going to have a new story. It's going to be kind of spear and fang, you know, more like prehistoric uh, era, right. uh, sword and soul. Uh, and if the title does not change, maybe it will. Uh, but for now, it's called Carnivora. Uh, we've got a small sample of it on the Kickstarter. You guys can check that out as a latest update. Milton will be doing a, a historical profile on Charles Saunders. You can get to learn about him in more detail than uh, some of the stuff we just touched upon today. And Sarah will have a new work of short fiction, uh, TBD. I, we, I, we haven't talked discussed it yet uh, in terms of title and subject matter, but I wouldn't have asked Sarah on board if I didn't think it'd be great. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, stop it, Oliver. I know that people are gonna get to read these issues and gonna get to see you guys in it, and I, I just can't wait. I can't wait to work with you all in the editorial process, which I really enjoy. I love discussing story, uh, going through crafting even narrative and nonfiction. You know, uh, yeah, it's gonna be great. So. Ah, I've got nothing. Else. Sorry, I'm so I'm so fried from the last few weeks, guys. I'm so sorry. I keep trying to like, I you know, I mean, uh, you good. Uh, you good. Been on the podcast, you know that I know how to close these things normally. At some point, Oliver, you stop talking and the thing ends. That's how it works, and I can't I can't end it. So thank you all. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> And thanks uh, to everybody uh, watching, and listening. Oh, you know what? You know what? Actually, I'm just gonna throw it quick to the chat, just to, just in case. Anybody watching, I feel like we've been pretty thorough, but do you have questions to ask the panel? Kevin can throw the question up on the screen so people can see it and we can all talk. Or it can be like my grade 11 English class when the teacher would say that and everybody just stares at the front. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Maybe you all feel like you've heard everything and, and you're good. Right, right. Because we've been thorough, we've been really thorough. I appreciate that uh, from you guys. I think so. Uh, because, um, yeah, okay. All right. So nobody's got any questions today. Whatever. If they throw them up late in the chat, you know, we we can come back to it in the comments or whatever. Uh, so yeah, people, if you're seeing this as a recording later, throw questions in the comments, and and I'll I'll see what I, we can do to address them. But yeah, again, thank you, uh, Kirk, Milton, Sarah, for your time, and I'll talk to you later when we're figuring out your stuff in the magazine. All right, guys. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Peace, peace. Bye. Bye. All right.